0: all right ladies and gentlemen i want to welcome you to a brand new episode of scar and scar stands for seeking courage and redemption with dustin rivenbark i'm so excited about today's podcast i'm excited about our guests that we have on the line today but before we get into all of that I want to give you sort of the intent of the podcast, kind of the why are we here, so to speak, and we're here to work out our hardships, tribulations, our trials in such a way that we can begin to uncover God's plan for our lives. Now, you may be listening and thinking, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to Scar? And the truth is, guys, we all have stuff. We all have hardships, issues. Things to overcome that if we don't watch out, they can even begin to pile up and accumulate and even change the trajectory of our lives if we don't have a safe place to come together invent, and, and share what tools we use to overcome. So that is what we do here. That is the intent of the podcast, and that, my friend, is why you need to be listening to SCAR. Now, all of that being said, I want to welcome Mr. Samuel Moore Sobel to the show.
1: Hi, Dustin. How are you? Thanks so much for for having me on. I'm excited to be here with
0: you today. Absolutely, man. We are excited to have you. Now, you reside in Northern Virginia. Now, at the time of this podcast, how's the weather there? It is actually a beautiful day here in Northern Virginia. It's hard to believe that we're in mid-November because the, the weather, it's, it's nice and, and sunny outside, and it's been it's just a perfect fall day. Well, now, uh, right in the midst of all of COVID-19, we're in the midst of a presidential um, nightmare and all of that. How, how is the vibe? How's the morale in Virginia at this time?
1: You know that's a great question. I, I, you know, from from talking to people, it seems like it's you know people are just hanging on. They're trying to get by and and trying to have a positive attitude. It's been a lot's been thrown at us here in 2020, but uh, you know we're we're just trying to make it through and and have a good attitude
0: about it. And looking forward to getting to 2021. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I hear that. Same here. And uh, (laughs) and and just so our listeners know, Samuel has um, quite an interesting story of overcoming. Uh, of courage, redemption, alongside of fear, and all of those things that come along with with fear, anxiety, and all of that. And so I want to kind of get into the story. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Samuel, and kind of how we got to here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a... uh... Uh, like like you, you pointed out, I'm I'm born and raised in, in Northern Virginia, so I've lived here most of my life, um, and uh, you know just been uh, in the. I actually work by day in the, the tech industry, and then by night uh, I I do motivational speaking. Uh, I'm an author of a book called Can You See My Scars, uh, and and also do some writing and guest blogging and and get interviewed on podcasts like we're doing now. So uh, I. Talk a lot about my story um, and an accident that I was in uh, several years ago now, more than eleven years ago now, that changed my life, and, and uh, I'm still learning the lessons to this day and, and, and telling others about it as well to encourage them as they face the adversity
0: in their own lives. So, tell me a little bit um, about this accident. How old were you, and what happened? Because it's quite uh, it's quite a unique um, story as well as accident. Tell us tell us about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I was uh, 15 years old, and the day was September 1st, 2009, so uh, more than 11 years ago now, and and I was hired for a day to help uh, someone who lived in the community uh, just to move some boxes and furniture, and so we'd worked out, I was going to do one last odd job here before the summer ended, and get a little bit, uh, earn a little extra cash before I went back to school to start my sophomore year of high school, and in the process, uh, you know, my life utterly changed. Uh, like I said, I was hired for a day to, to move some boxes and furniture. When I arrived on, on the site uh, to, to the person's house, the details started to change. And at the time, I, I kind of talked that up to, well, maybe there was just a misunderstanding, but it was a common theme throughout the day. So it turned out we were going to a storage facility. We were going to empty the storage facility of uh, this, this man's items and then bring it back to his house. So we did that, and once we did that part of the job, which took a little longer than expected. Uh, he, he informed us that we were going to, okay, now we're going to take everything that's in the, uh, in, in his yard and still in the truck that he didn't want to keep at his own house and take it out to a friend's house. And at that point, you know, my dad calls me, it's, it's early afternoon. Uh, the job is supposed to go from 9am to 1pm. It's now after 2pm. And my dad
0: tells me, you know, I think it's time for you to go home. And, you know, he and I are talking on the
1: phone and I, and I'm trying to, figure out what to do and the man's overhearing this conversation and he says oh you know we're the person's my friend's house is just 10 5 or 10 minutes down the road and so that seems to sway my dad and so I agree to go with the man and we're in this big u-haul truck we're driving down the road and you know, Dustin, five minutes becomes 10, and 10 minutes becomes 20, wow. and 20 becomes 30, and, and now it's 45 minutes, and we've passed county lines, and, you know, my anxiety is just through the roof. I, I'm really concerned we're in the middle of what seems like in the middle of nowhere. He's got to take a, uh, a U-turn off the highway just to get to the house that we're supposed to get to, and we go up to this gravel road, and there's this house at the top of the, the top of the road there, and then there's a shed that's at the very end of bottom of the hill uh, where this house is. And so he backs up the U-Haul truck. We get out of the truck and we're talking. There's we're introduced to the homeowner, who's who's this um, lady who has a couple dogs around her, and they're barking. And so she goes and opens up this shed where we're supposed to house all the stuff that the that the man has brought. And she looks around and she goes, "Oh, it's it's just filled to the brim with stuff." And and it's you know again boxes, furniture, all this, all this, all everything imaginable you could see in a shed. And so. Yeah. Eventually, a box makes its way into my hands. I look down, and it's got books and hay. And when I say hay, it's literally straw protruding from this box, uh, which I think is kind of an odd assortment of items. But who am I to judge what people... Yeah. <laughs> you know, their sheds. And so, you know, I kind of think it's kind of hold back a chuckle. And as I take this box and it's open, right? So nothing's taping it down. They're taping it together. Uh, there's a cement slab that's a few feet away. And so I toss this box as instructed on it, the cement slab. And the second it hits
0: that slab, uh, an explosion rings out. Oh, and man. I see this liquid substance coming towards me. I don't know
1: what it is. Uh, by God's grace, I closed my eyes. It's, it miraculously closed my eyes. And the the second it, I mean, I can feel it hit me and it's just pain, right? I'm just, people often ask me, what did it feel like? The only way I can describe it is it's what I would imagine lighting a match and dropping it on your face would feel like, right? Immediately. It felt like I was on fire. Oh yeah. Within a, within a second, it was just, I was on fire and I I didn't know what to do. Um, So eventually, you know, 911's called, the man leads me up the, the hill I get placed at the, the top of this hill with the phone that I, the nine one one operator's asking him what the substance is, so he goes back down the hill to find it. I'm on the top of this hill and I'm, you know, talking to the nine one one operator and, and she's trying to, you know, call me down and walk me through what to do and, and that was probably You know, it was the loneliest moment of my life. I'm sitting at the the top of this hill. I end up falling to my knees. I'm falling to the ground. I'm writhing in pain. And I just, I'm wondering if this is the end. And I'm kind of, I'm pleading with God, right, that that this not be the end of my life. I was 15 years old. I didn't want to go yet. And I think the, the moment that sticks out to me is when the paramedics do arrive. You know, they take the stretcher out. They put me on the stretcher. They put me into the ambulance. And I remember looking around, and I saw a bunch of trees. And as I was looking around, I wondered if that was the last time
0: I was going to see trees. Man. Man, Samuel. So you've got me on the edge of my seat as you're entering the gurney here. What? Uh, uh, at what point did we find out what the substance was? What is it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, so right as I'm in the in the at this point in the gurney, and they immediately they start flushing my eyes because they're worried about my eyes, and um, I'm I'm overhearing, and it eventually gets relayed to me later. I think once we get to the hospital, but I'm kind of overhearing the paramedics talk, and apparently they they. I guess interviewed the the woman, the the homeowner, and she said that um, this was – it was sulfuric acid, and it was used for um, metal etching. And so, uh, this this was a uh, you know really dangerous substance that was stored in this this jar, um, and and uh, that you know was really negligently stored, and uh, you know ended up leaving me with second and third degree burns to
0: my face and arms. Oh my goodness, sulfuric acid, man! This is not only rare; this is bizarre <laughs> that it's in this jar. And they tell you to just throw it down. Obviously, she didn't remember it was in there, but but uh, so, so when you throw this down and you're, you're in the midst of pain and you hit the gurney and you, you you're fearing for your life, kind of take me into the hospital. How long were you there? Um, what was that transition like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I end up getting to the, they, they take me to the hospital. I'm pulled out on, on this gurney, pulled out of the, the ambulance and, immediately they take me into a chemical shower they uh strip me naked they throw me on on this in in the middle of this chemical shower and it was you know that was the moment where the pain starts to subside a little bit right that that, you know being in that chemical shower kind of assuages some of that pain and 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 all of a sudden i'm able to kind of think a little bit more clearly and uh you know once from there, then, then I get taken to a room, uh, and I'm. They're they're telling me from the beginning that, hey, you know, you're going to be transferred, you're going to be medevaced. and so they're deciding where to take me. It, it turns out that I'm going to go to Children's National uh, Hospital in um, uh, Washington D.C. So they're going to medevac me out to Children's, um, and so you know we're. we're in this room, and I'm, I'm, you know, they're doing all these tests, right, and they're, you know, trying to feed, they're giving me some pain medication, they're trying to lessen the pain, but they're doing a lot of tests, they seem, they want to know kind of what the condition of my organs are, they want to know what's, what kind of damage, if I swallowed it, um, they're kind of, you know, they're looking at me, they're looking at my mouth, they're trying to see, uh, you know, what the extent of the damage is, and then at one point, you know, somebody's asking me if I've seen myself yet, and uh, I, I say no, and, and before I can even think about it, a nurse is. Has thrown a uh, mirror into my oh, lap and said, "Well, I'll have it take a look." And so I, I take a look for the first time, and, and Dustin, I didn't recognize myself. I mean, I, I, it was just these really black and brown stains that were just these really dark stains that were all over my face. I mean, I, it just—it looked like my face had just been caked in mud. And I, I didn't recognize the image that was reflected back
0: to me. So was that was, was that black and brown stains? Was that the um I, I, the burn that was it, it was actually burning the skin? Is is that kind of what was happening? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and you know, in the, in the coming weeks, it, my, my, the color of my face would change, right? Then it, then it became kind of green looking. Then it would, it, you know, the burn, it was continuing. The thing about chemical burns and sulfuric acid is that the, the doctors told me later that it was a, it continued to, you know, kind of burn and, and bore holes into my skin, even after that initial period of getting in the chemical shower. And so it, it kind of contorted how I looked for, for the first few weeks. And then the scars began to take shape at that point and now my scars the scars I have are, are kind of bright red. Um, but but at that point it just it was just these like my, my face just totally looked uh irrecognizable and it was just it was totally those you
0: know black and brown stains on my face. So we're talking about past the point of blisters. This is like almost almost a, a melting type of like like it's really burning. Yeah, you know, it,
1: it just yeah, it looked like. I mean, you know, I, it was it was miraculous in the outcome that that it wasn't worse, right? And that's yeah. what they said that you know that it wasn't worse, but it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely there was there was you know continued. You know, uh, it, it was one of those things where it just didn't. I, I didn't look like my, myself, and it was something that was burning through that skin. Um, you know, luckily I only had to do a skin graft underneath my nose. Where on my upper lip from from later when they were doing some procedures, but uh, because I know it could have been a lot worse. But yeah, it was it was just you know the the burning that was occurring
0: with the sulfuric acid. It was it was you know it's a really potent chemical and it's really quite dangerous. So so now where is at this point the lady and the guy you traveled forty five minutes with your parents? What's happening with everybody during this time while you're in the chemical shower while you're getting ushered in all of this? Yeah. So, so um, the the man who had hired
1: me is has made it to the hospital. Um, he comes back. He talks to me for a few minutes. Uh, my my parents are en route. They're they're trying to get there in time before I get medevac. And my mom arrives just before they're about to get me on the helicopter. Uh, right before they're going to wheel me out to the to the helicopter, and uh, I I see her. Um, she has enough time to say, "Hey, you know, I love you. Uh, you know, I'll see you at, at Children's," and, and that's about that. Uh, and then I get wheeled out in, into the uh, onto the helicopter and taken to Children's
0: Hospital. Was there any anger between your parents and and the man and and you and the man or any of that?
1: Yeah, you know that's a good question. I mean, he, you know, he, he was particularly, uh, you know, I ta- I write about it a little bit in the book. You know, he, he was particularly insensitive in some of the things he said afterwards, and and there was there was really some there was some frustration there that, uh, you know, this had happened and he, you know, he didn't really take responsibility for what had happened. And, you know, it was, it was really frustrating that I felt like, you know, this person just didn't really care. And and that was the end of that. You know, he told my mother that,
0: well, this was, this was fake that this happened. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. 45 minutes you took me and told me it was five. That's fake. Yeah. But, (laughs) but you, you, you know, um, anyway, you know, kind of, kind of moving into children's, um, how long of a recovery process did we have, Samuel?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it ends up being, uh, you know, I actually end up, they, they take me into a debridement surgery the next morning. So they, they do a surgery, and basically they're just trying to scrape off, they're trying to prevent infection. They're trying to sca- scrape off as much as of, uh, of the substance off of my face and try to scrape off some of that scarring. Um, and they one side of my face, they're able to do that. A little bit better than the other side um but you know after that surgery that you know we get i get uh wheeled back to my room and uh the from there i mean i'm in the hospital less than 24 hours and basically they say you know there's nothing more we can do for you and the rest was kind of up to me i mean i remember driving back and you know in the back of my backseat of my parents car and just thinking wow you know what am i going to do now it just it just felt like you know, my whole life had been turned upside down, uh, and and I didn't know what was going to
0: happen next. Wow, you know, looking uh, uh, looking at this, and and I try I trying to put myself in the mind of of me at fifteen years old, although I have no idea what I would do uh, facing that, and and I could only imagine self consciously and all of that, uh, what it must have been like undergoing all of these surgical operations and. Uh, and all of that. How did this all play into your mental health of your teenage years?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the thing that's was interesting even to me as I was going through this journey was what I discovered as I went through this you know I, I kind of come back home I'm on homebound tutoring uh, you know I tell audiences now I, I know what it's like to have to you know be home all the time you know it was, it was 11 years ago it was, it was under different circumstances not because of COVID-19 but you know I spent the first few months after this accident most of that fall of, of 2009 you know at home uh, because of the threat of infection and the doctor worry about staff infection and um, you know, th- 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 there was all kinds of concerns about me being out and around other people because of germs. And so I spent a lot of time at home. I was also, you know, my face was caked in, in antibiotic, right? So I had, um, you know, Vaxitracin just, just literally in my face all day long on my face to keep it moisturized. And so it's just really uncomfortable. I remember sitting there in front of a little mini fan that my parents bought me that I would sit there to try to, you know, just keep from itching. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that as I was going through this experience, I realized that. The physical scars that I had weren't as, uh, in some ways, weren't even as, uh, didn't have as big of an effect on my daily life as the invisible scars that I had. Right, those emotional scars. And so, pretty quickly, you know, even just a few weeks into the accident, I'm having suffering with bouts of insomnia. I'm not able to fall asleep, and um, you know, I start. You know, what eventually what I learn uh, when I start going to counseling is you know, having symptoms of, of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and depression. And th- those, you know, were really uh, damaging to me. It was it was really hard to overcome that part of the experience because not only was this a physical scar that I had, but I also had emotional scars. And it really took a while to to, to work through those uh, and be able to combat the symptoms that I was feeling.
0: Can you pinpoint those emotions you were having, the emotional scars, the the invisible scars, as you call it? Do you... Do you really know? Do, can you pinpoint that, or was it, or is it just kind of a, um, just kind of an emotional numbness, or, or do you know exactly how you were feeling?
1: Yeah, you know, it was it was one of those things, and I, I remember in the days after the accident, it was it was so because this had happened. I, I really really suffered a lot with, with flashbacks, right, so I would kind of be brought back into what happened, which was arguably the worst day of my life, right, and still is to this day of kind of that experience of what had happened, and, you know, so I, I would be in the shower, and the, and the hot water was on, and it would remind me of, you know, kind of that feeling of what it felt like to, to be burning, uh, my face to be burning with sulfuric acid, and so that would kind of trigger me, and so there was so many things that were, were triggering, and, and I had to really work through that, there was a lot of, I, you know, I had irritability, I was really irritable. Um, like I said, I wasn't sleeping very well. Uh, you know, it, it was just—it was one of those just circumstances where it was so all-encompassing. It's all I thought about. It's, uh, it affected every area of my life, and I just really was in in that place of just feeling really sorry for myself and really not seeing a way out.
0: So, so now take me into um, kind of you. You got into the emotional side, um, um, all of that. Take me into your first encounter with your friend Samuel. Um, what was what was that like? Everybody kind of seeing you for the first time.
1: Yeah, so that you know, that was uh, it, it was a really hard transition back into. You know what I would call right every, everyday life or everyday society right. It was really hard, and, and so I'd spent you know a few months not being around other people. I went back to school um, in, in, in actually around this time. It was it was about mid November, uh, and went back to school for the first time in, in two thousand nine. And the minute I, you know, went back, I knew something was, was off, right, with all my friends. You know, they, they didn't, it wasn't so much that, um, you know, people often ask me, did you get bullied? I, I didn't, really. I mean, people were actually pretty nice about it, but, but the difference was is that they didn't know how to talk to me. You know, they didn't know how to interact with me. And so I just felt this kind of withdrawal of friends from my life, right? I kind of felt this sense of people just kind of you know, falling away from me and, and not knowing how to interact with me. And, uh, you know, that was really hard because it, it felt really lonely and it felt like, you know, people just didn't know how to interact with me. And, and to be honest with you, Dustin, half the time I
0: didn't know how to interact with myself either. I couldn't blame them. You know, yeah. I mean, it, was, I, I, it was such a hard experience, but it did. It felt really lonely. And I, I think a lot of people, especially at that age, they just didn't know how to interact with me and they didn't know um,
1: what what to do and how to talk to me anymore because I, I looked so different and, and, and it was like the whole world had shifted.
0: Okay, and, and now, you know, uh, I'm trying to... Uh, you don't know what to say to somebody in that moment, man. When you walk in and you're shocked by their appearance, or or you are actually sitting there waiting to see how they respond to your appearance, um, it is, that is a weird moment. I mean, that, that, is, that has got to be a, a weird moment. So, so moving kind of out of that... Take me into dating. Were you able to date? Did, I mean, what what were the side effects of all of this throughout throughout your life?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, it, it was one of those, you know, because of all this that had happened, it was it was just so all encompassing. I wasn't really. I, I missed some of those milestones, right? So I, I didn't date anybody in high school. Um, I went. I almost graduated college without dating somebody. It wasn't until you know my my. Uh, my last year of college that I actually started dating somebody. And, um, you know, I, I think it, because of how I viewed myself, uh, you know, I just really lacked self-confidence. I was ashamed of how I looked. Um, you know, I, I would, there were times where I would grow a beard out to try to cover my scars, but then that would be really uncomfortable for my scars. So then shaving and then I would feel ashamed again. Every time I looked in the mirror, I, it was a reminder of what had happened to me. It was the worst day of my life. And so it really, I, I wasn't in a healthy place to really, be in a relationship for a really long time and then the side effect of this when it comes to dating and again I, I actually talk a little bit about this in my book I talk about kind of an experience I had with, with uh, in a relationship where I, I arguably you know it was, a, it was an emotionally abusive relationship that I, I stayed in um, despite that because I, I didn't feel like uh, you know I, I could do any better I didn't feel like I deserved
0: anything better and
1: so mm. I was willing to kind of put up with some of these really really toxic re- romantic relationships because I felt like hey that's all I deserved and that's how I saw myself and so it was really hard it was, it was really unhappy and it led to kind of these string of relationships that were not healthy they were they were not good they were toxic and um, you know it, it just wasn't I, I wasn't in the right place to, to be dating them and, and, and it just didn't really work out. And it was really discouraging. And, and for a long time, that was my great fear, right? I, I you know, the, from the night, that first night in the hospital, I remember thinking to myself, you know, am I ever going to find anybody? to love me? I mean, that was a genuine question that I had and, you know, I carried that with me um, really until I met my now wife. I just got married
0: three months ago. And, Congratulations. And,
1: uh, great yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but it was really, a, a, you know, meeting her was a journey, a captain on a journey that was marked with a lot of, uh, a lot of failure along the way to, to finding the right person and also being in a healthy place to, to be the right person for somebody else and so that was really, really tough and I definitely incurred some scars along the way from some of these past, romantic relationships that, that were really hard and really scarring. And it took me, it kind of knocked me off of my feet and knocked my confidence even more in that in
0: that area of dating. So going just a little bit, a little bit deeper, man, you also talk a little bit about uh, doubting your faith and, and questioning whether or not you really even wanted to live. What was, what did that look like, Samuel?
1: Yeah, so that, you know, I getting to this place of just living this life of the the constant, all the symptoms I was struggling with and just the mental health struggles and, you know, just feeling so alone. It really drove me to this place of, you know, really contemplating whether I wanted to live anymore. And I really struggled with, you know, what life was going to look like and was it even worth living? You know, was I ever going to hit those normal milestones? Was I going to be able to, you know, finish high school and go to college and find someone to love me and and get married and, and buy a house and live all those kind of normal things? um and and so i really doubted that i thought maybe my life was was better off you know i I wondered you know was it better if i had just died right you know the doctors talked about how miraculous it was that if i'd swallowed just one drop of sulfuric acid uh, the acid that had hit me um that you know it it would have it could have burned through my esophagus it could have burned one of my organs and then i would have been looking at an organ transplant and it could have taken my life um you know and and so you know the another thing about my eyes right the condition of my eyelids uh the
0: the doctor the ophthalmologist told my parents you know she said i I have no medical explanation for why you know he can see based on the condition of his
1: eyelids so there was this in the one hand there was these great miracles right and i felt that that wow there was there was you know some miracles involved in in what had happened but on the other hand what happened just felt so uh horrible this was just such a horrible traumatic experience and so it was hard to believe in uh, a God who would allow this to happen. But as I was going through this, this kind of soul searching and, and asking this classic questions of who am I? And uh, you know, who am I in the midst of tragedy and, uh, who Who do I want to be? Um you know what two things really sustained me as i as I really questioned whether I wanted to live. And one was the love and support of my family. You know my my parents and my my brother and sister were very loving and supportive. and I, I knew that if I did take my own life, that it would only be hurting them, and they'd already been through so much. And I didn't want to do that. And secondly, you know there was this aspect of my story, you know, just a few weeks in after the accident, I was lying awake one night and unable to sleep due to insomnia, and I remember thinking, kind of a light bulb going off in my head and thinking, I'm going to write about this one day, you know, that that's what I'm going to do, and I, I'd always loved writing, and I, I wanted to write, and the purpose of that was, you know, one, to make sense of what had happened to me, I was hoping to find the words to kind of piece together what had happened and what this experience was like, but secondly, it was to have that redemptive aspect yeah. to my story, right, the only way to really make an impact in other people's lives was to be able to overcome this and then share with others and encourage them along their story, and so that that was that was my, there's two motivating factors of really pushing me me through that that experience. And then obviously my faith played a part as well and, and just really feeling like and, and being reminded of throughout that journey that, that God has a plan and it wasn't my own, but, you know, really having to, to trust in Him and believing that there was a plan out of this because it didn't always seem that way at times.
0: You know, I, I can certainly relate to, to some of what you're saying when, when my wife and I lost our our baby, and and I lost my my mother and my grandmother all within the same year, um, I knew right away um, that there had to be more to this story. Even though it was hurting, it was painful, all of that, I felt like... Uh, there was so many miracles in the in the little moments that that I had to get this story out, and so that was one of the reasons I initially started talking about it. I, I wrote my book and I, and I started this podcast. Was I just felt like people needed to know this? Now, for you, um, what was kind of uh, the experience like trying to put your thoughts together in order to write about this in your book? Can you see my scars? What was, what was it, and why did you begin that process?
1: yeah, writing a book—you know—it is—it is one of those things, and you know it since you've done it, right? It, it is a hard proposition. it sure.
0: everybody says that, and then you get into it, and then it's—it's it's even harder than you first imagined that it could be. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but you know it was one of the struggles with with writing
1: this was you know and i kept a journal and i had all these words i remember at one point i had literally hundreds of thousands of words but so much of it was i wasn't able to share it yet because it wasn't it had been refined right meaning that it's you know i've heard it said and i'm gonna butcher the quote here but i've heard Others say that, uh, you know, you can't write a memoir until the tears have dried, right? Wow. So There's a little bit of that, right? Like that sense of... Um you know, you know, I, I just—I wasn't the story wasn't over yet, and and there kept being new chapters in it. You know, I, I had my last surgery just two or three years ago, and and so it was this—you know—this never-ending process of refinement, both both uh, physically and emotionally, right, and and, and spiritually, right, of, of becoming um, just 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 really who who God wanted me to be through this. And so it, it was one of those stories that that wasn't quite over yet and so it was hard to find the words to kind of end the story and so I would think okay I'm done with the book I'm done with the story and then there would be something else that would happen that I thought oh no you know there's more that that can be gleaned here and there's more for readers to glean and so it was one of those uh, never ending projects and and part of it was it also there was times where it was really painful I mean it was really painful to write this book um, because again it's reliving what was was you know the worst part of my my life, the worst time of my life, that period of really reliving those feelings of loneliness and, and some of those things, and there was times where I would write it, and when I was I was really writing it, even even just a year ago, where it would be hard to sleep at night because you know I, I would be you know kept up by by the images of what had happened uh, mm. before, but you know it, it, I really had to. Uh, Focus in on what was important, uh, and focusing on what was important to, to share with readers. And I couldn't, you know, you couldn't fit, you can't fit everything in there. Um, and, and I really wanted to go with a strategy that with shorter chapters, so it's, it's pretty short chapters throughout the book um, to keep readers' attention, but also to sure. to move the book along and have that flow, and then also to keep it under you know three hundred pages, so it's not it's not an epitome. But you know, it really was a, it was a hard process to find how to find the words to describe it because some of it just feels. Truly indescribable, and I'm sure you felt that way too, with yeah. with, with writing your book. I mean, it, there's parts of your experience, right, that are just. It's hard to find the words, and it took a really long time. I really had to reach that place of healing and accepting, not only accepting my scars, but embracing my scars, both inside and out, and then I was ready to share the story and do so authentically, because I really wanted to be authentic in how I presented this, and and the only way to do that was to
0: actually reach that place of healing. So I'm glad that you brought this up. This is a great transition for us to be able to come out of the darkness, out of the, the hurt, the pain, and all of that. You mentioned you have to come to a place of healing. You have to accept the scars eventually inside and out. That's the only way to deal with with scars, with hardship, with tragedy. You have to accept where you are and where you at. Now that doesn't mean you have to stay where you are, where you are, or where you're at. My question is, what was a valuable tool for you, Samuel, in order to find that healing? How did that happen for you?
1: You know, I always emphasize with people: it's, it's, you know, the road to healing is is sometimes, you know, it varies for everybody. But, but for me, certainly, it was, it was a long one, and I think for many of us, right, it's not instantaneous. I think, you know, reaching that place of healing takes time. And, you know, I'm I'm talking to you today, and it's been more than 11 years. Since, since the accident happened and I'm in a very different place than I was even just a few years ago and so it it, it takes a lot of time and I, I think the first thing I would say is you know people just have to be patient with themselves right they, they have to you know keep keep going and keep pushing forward but but also be patient with themselves and realize that it's not going to happen in a day right um and, and and secondly i would say for me you know I, my when i was in therapy my therapist talked a lot about my psychiatrist rather talked a lot about uh, a toolbox and so he was he would make the analogy that we were you know building tools and assembling tools to put in the toolbox so that whenever i was feeling down or whenever something was happening in my life and I felt kind of that wave of depression that was coming on on the uh, on, on the horizon then I could be prepared for it right and I could yeah. kind of you know pull that tool to be ready and so the tools you know it was I went to went to years of therapy. Um, you know, secondly, I, I was on medication for a short time. So you know, that uh, was that was a, a pieces of, of the the toolbox. You know, writing was was a part of the toolbox. Um, you know, being able to speak about this is, is part of the toolbox, and being able to you know seek guidance from other mentors and other people um, was really important. And so there was just this tools that I assembled uh, that that left that really served me well in that healing process. But I'll tell you that the capstone for me was uh, really being able to be around other people who were burn survivors, right? So for me, I, I went a long time without meeting anyone else who had been a burn survivor like me. But, you know, uh, just a few years ago, in 2017, I went to my very first Phoenix World Burn Congress. Uh, the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors is okay. is an organization that uh, works with uh, burn survivors and their families. And when I went to that, and I was around so many people who were feeling and thinking and experiencing the same things as myself All of a sudden, you know, it really changed my perspective, and I'd done a lot of work to get there, but it was kind of the capstone of my healing process to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to embrace my scars, and I'm nothing to be ashamed of, and so it was really really healing for me to be around that, and and again, I think, you know, the, the thing that I always stress with people is we have to be open about about our scars, right? There's this tendency, we live in this world where we only post the best pictures on Facebook and we only do the best updates on social media. And and I think that we have to share our scars with each other because the only way we're ever going to be able to heal is, is a key part of that is seeing the scars that others have and others carry, seeing how they overcame and seeing what we can incorporate in our own stories. You know, not everything, not everything I did or not everything in my story will work for others, but there's parts of it that hopefully will help others that they can incorporate in their own unique journeys um, and, and that will propel them forward. And so I think it's so important to really cling to the stories of others. And I, I, I've done that where I've, you know, you've, you've, there's so many examples of, of others who've overcome great tragedy. You know, adversity is that great equalizer, right? We all know yes. what it's like to have scars. We all know what it's like to suffer. And so if we can learn from other people along the, along the way, uh, nothing's better than that, to be able to learn uh, from other real-life stories, and, and they will propel us on our own.
0: Listen to me, listeners. This is, this is golden... Uh, knowledge right here this is more this is this is golden nuggets that you can take and apply to your life we must share our hardships, our adversities. I heard someone one time, uh, uh, and he was talking about the podcast, and he said, "Well, I just don't, uh, I just don't air my misfortunes." And he was kind of downplaying what it is that that we do here. And I just said, "Well, that's very unfortunate because people need to hear it. Not only do people need to hear your uh, uh, your misfortune, but they need to know how you overcame that." how you move forward in that, how you grew in that. In order to heal, we have to feel, and we have to feel together and grow together. And this is all uh, powerful, powerful stuff. Now, you mentioned doubting your faith and and all of that. And so um, at what point did your faith begin to grow again? And how much did that play into who you are today and how you've been able to uh, engage and, and accept those scars?
1: That, that was definitely a journey as well. You know, I, I remember, you know, really struggling with my, my faith for a really long time and really having trouble, you know, squaring the idea that a good and loving God would allow this to happen to me, right? There was kind of two options as I saw. One, it was, you know, a good God was good and all-knowing and all-powerful, and he allowed this to happen to me uh which which meant that you know did he do this to me did he want this to happen to me or you know it was it was that we worship you know an in, impotent god right a god who couldn't provide who couldn't prevent anything and yeah. both of those options were kind of kind of not good right you, you kind of don't want either you know you don't want a god who, who 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 is you know pushing this to happen to somebody but you also don't want a god who um you know is is impotent and not able to to you know be all-powerful and all-knowing right mm-hmm. so so there's there's that that was the juxtaposition. I really felt felt you know burdened by and you know I really wanted to you know be somebody as, as I went through and I talk about in the book of openly you know seeing others um, you know whether in the media whether getting interviewed they, they would you know whether they were atheists I was really drawn to me I, I wish I had that much faith to believe that right I wish I could literally say you know there is no God right because I wouldn't have to struggle with this anymore right but I, but I never gave up this and I think that's the, the key too is that I kept. I kept fighting. I think, I think it's, it's, it's natural. I think all of us at some point doubt our faith. Um, you know, I think it's a natural part of, of, uh, of being a, a Christian. It's a natural part of, I think any really faith belief system, right? That you come to a point where you doubt, is this really what I want to believe? And, you know, I've grown up in a Christian home and, but, but it was my parents' faith, right? It wasn't quite yet mine. And I was kind of beginning that process of making it my own. And this happened. And so what really helped me in the healing process was I remember talking to uh, my pastor actually, and, he talked about how, you know, he, he said, you know, it sounds to me as, as we were kind of talking and he'd heard about my struggles and my story, he said, it sounds to me like, you know, you're taking this, your story and the accident, and you're funneling everything, your entire worldview through this accident, right? And mm. so he said, I'd, what I'd encourage you to do is kind of take a step back. You know, you were in this place where you're, you're like I said, you know, f- trying to figure out if this was my faith or the faith of my parents or just mine or, you know, where, where I played into that and, and how I espoused those beliefs. And so, you know, he's like, go back and do that. right? Take a step back and and continue that process and sift everything through the word of God, right. And go back and, and take your experience and, and, and go do it through, through the Bible, right. You know, filter it through the Bible instead of this accident that happened to you. And that was really good, powerful advice. And it, and it you know, it was powerful because, you know, it, it forced me to kind of, come to grips with the fact that um you know we live in a world that's fallen we live in a fallen world and 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 bad things are going to happen and bad things happen to us even when we're in situations where you know we're not at fault right i wasn't doing anything wrong i was just trying to help these people move boxes and furniture and this happened to me but i think that we you know we, we live in a world where bad things happen and I think we have to in those moments it can either try, drive you farther from God or it can draw you into God and and I tried I, I had a little bit of both right I, it drove me farther at times but in the end it actually drew me closer and I was able to kind of strengthen my faith was strengthened uh through this experience because I was able to see the ways in which you know God preserved me over and over again and there was there was so many examples of that and there was times Dustin, where I tried to kind of write them out of the narrative it was there was things that would happen that were clearly miraculous, right? Like yeah. I was telling you earlier about, yeah. you know, my eyes and, and the organs, but I didn't want to give him credit for that, right? At, but, but when I looked back at the experience, and part of writing this book was kind of, it, it was really, it really helped with that as well, because I could kind of see the entirety of the story and see, wow, you know, <clears throat> whatever happened, right, whether it was whether, you know, I don't believe it was God's perfect will that this will that this happened to me, but however, I do think you know, right that Romans eight twenty tells us that that he works together all things for good. And and I think that's what he
0: was he was doing, right? And 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 I think that he had a plan and he's working it together and you know, I had to trust him and, and he knows better than
1: I and it doesn't always make sense, right, what happens in this world but we just have to continue to move forward and, and, and put our worldview through the, the Word of God and not our own circumstances.
0: You know, and I love that you also mentioned about the faith of your parents. I'm a um, um, youth pastor as well, and, and so uh, I deal with a lot of students and I, and, and youth in the schools and, and all of that and going and speaking in these schools. I tell them, uh, first and foremost, man, it is not enough to just try to ride your parents' faith. You cannot get into heaven off of your dad's faith, your mom's faith. Like you need your own personal and growing relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and and there's a richness to it, you
1: know. If you if you have a relationship with, you know, there's a richness to that that isn't found if you're just going to kind of ride on the on the faith of
0: others, right? Then it's not really yours. Right, right, right. And so now, anybody that may be listening right now, that may be struggling with scars, or maybe struggling uh, uh, internally or or externally um, with their vis- physical appearance, because it doesn't just have to be a physical scar from a burn. Uh, man, you could be dealing with scars from uh, obesity, from uh, all these different things. Uh, uh, a eating disorder, um, all kinds of stuff to where you're you're not happy with your appearance or you're not happy with where you are in life. This could be a job issue. This could be uh, so many different things that this story can relate to, Samuel. Uh, what would you tell a listener right now that's at the end of their rope that just doesn't know where to go? You
1: yeah. know I talk to so many people these days who you know who are exactly exactly where you just described you know we're living in these times of of COVID-19 and the pandemic and and there's so much uncertainty uh, it's just been an unbelievable year and you know what I tell people is I I hope that people can can take from my story um, two things one I hope that they can take from it that that uh, we all have scars, and that they can that acknowledging your scars, and acknowledging your pain, acknowledging your hurt, and acknowledging that you're in, at the end of the, your rope is really the first step, right? It's the first step towards towards walking towards the light. You know, is being able to acknowledge it. But too, you know, I hope that people can see that, you know, if I was able to overcome what I overcame, you know, all the, the dozens, of, you know, the more than a dozen surgeries, that the, the second, and third degree burns, the physical scars, the emotional scars, that all of it, you know, I, I hope that you can take heart today to all your life Listeners that they can take heart, that they too can overcome, right? That they too can can uh, come to peace with their scars, and they too can make a difference by sharing their story with others. And you know, it doesn't have to be as publicly as, as you or I do it, right? You know, but 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 even if it's just having a conversation with a friend or, or a family member, or sharing it where they feel comfortable and appropriate, I, I think the the only way to find redemption in, in in any type of story is to be able to go out. And, and to be able to share it with others. And so I would just encourage people, you know, hang in there. It's, it's a hard time. We're all feeling it collectively. Um, but, you know, you can do this and, and, and keep working to assemble those tools in your toolbox. And they may look differently. The tools may look differently than they did for me. Uh, but but assemble those tools. Seek out, you know, go to counseling if you need that. Um, I'm a big proponent of that. Go go to as much counseling as you need. I think we all need it. Uh, but also, you know, find other, other ways, other outlets to, to figure out what, what, uh, how you can overcome this, but also what God's plan for your life is too, and really lean in into Him and and, and let Him guide you. You know, let Him guide you through that. Um, you know, be honest about your doubts, be honest about your pain, uh, but continue to lean in. And and
0: and uh, you know, I, I think that that will not return void. You know, um, I I am so thankful for you coming on, Scar. Um, you talk about courage and redemption, the very um, you, you know, the very writing of, of my book. It was, I couldn't ask for, um, you know, a, a better fit with, with, uh, with kind of what we, what we discuss and our mission and all of that. All of that being said, I want to ask you uh, one final question, kind of a, a tough question, and it's based off of something you missed, you mentioned earlier. I want to ask you right now who is Samuel in the midst of adversity? Wow, that's a tough question. <laughs> looking back through through your writing, looking back through what all you've gone through, looking back through um, the dark times, the, the the good times, seeing who all uh, has invol- uh, been a part of this. If you had to wrap your life up in one statement, who would Samuel be in the midst of adversity?
1: You know, I think one of the things that I, being in counseling was really helpful to see was, you know, I remember my, my uh, counselor saying at one point, you know, you're not – this accident didn't alter your life in the way – as much as you think it did in some ways, right? And that was a really encouraging thing because in some ways when I look back on that on, the, on my life, right, and I look back on this experience, I feel like I ended up becoming who I was supposed to be. Regardless of the accident right I'm, I'm still the same Samuel i'm still you know somebody who's fun loving who's an internal optimist who um, you know who who wants to make a difference who loves to write who you know all those things were who I was before and who I am now and, and who I will always be but i I think that the thing I would say is who I am in the midst of adversity I, I had a friend tell me years ago that you know, I, I used to be a little bit more uh, before the accident Pollyanna-ish, um, and, and what I am now, right? You know, kind of always uh, always seeing the good, even even when it's hard circumstances. And and that after the accident, uh, that it kind of, you know, I had that realism. You know, there was this, that yeah. reality of it. Yeah. it. Didn't take away that that sense of eternal optimism. But I think that there's just a reality and and a and a depth to me that I don't know I could have achieved uh, if this hadn't happened, right? And and so I think that going through adversity has has added depth to me. It's, it's deepened my uh, emotional reach. Right, it's, I can understand and have that empathy for others in a way that maybe I couldn't have before in the same way because I know what it's like to be burned. I know what it's like to suffer and, I, and just like so many of us suffer. And so I think that's the that's the key here, that through adversity it really was able to refine me in a way that, that it increased my empathy, it deepened my faith uh, and it was, you know, through this experience I was able to continue to,
0: to face those struggles courageously and just to continue to get up every day and try
1: my best to, to take on that day and accomplish what it ha- what it was that, that God put in front of me and, and that's kind of how I take it a day at a time and I know that life isn't guaranteed uh, but at the end of the day I know that, that God's put me here for a reason and I'm going to keep getting up every day and trying to make a difference in whatever way that He
0: leads me to do. Man, fantastic. Fantastic answer. Fantastic podcast, by the way. Where can people go to... Uh, find out more about you, about your mission, and all of that. <clears throat> yeah, well, thanks so much,
1: Justin, for having me on. You, you ask great questions. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. People get your listeners can go to www.samuelmoresobel.com. That's M-O-O-R-E hyphen Sobel. dot Um, they can also go straight to Amazon.com and they can uh, type in my name or they can uh, look up, can you see my scars? And they can buy my book. It's, it's been, uh, it was, it's been on sale due to the holidays uh, through Amazon. And I think they'll continue doing that as we get closer, uh, to, to the holiday. But, um, but you know, there's a lot more that, uh, in the book and in, that would encourage, I think your listeners.
0: And so I'd encourage them to go out and, and, yes. uh, and, and read it. Go get this book. Go get this book. I cannot wait to read it. So again, uh, thank you much, Samuel. And uh, if you will hold on just for a minute, as for our listeners, we will see you in the next couple of days.